the Korean Thrive Podcast, episode 113, Seeking Freedom with Beth Kempton. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name is Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey Thrivers, Jess here for another week. Welcome to the show. I am currently in the lovely city of Edinburgh, uh, which is the end point of our journey around Scotland. We've had an amazing time. Uh, my, I think the highlight would have to be the Isle of Skye. We were incredibly lucky to arrive on Skye on a very blue sky day which I think is pretty rare and we had a really beautiful blue sky day all day and we pretty much drove around the entire island and did all of the things in one day because we were like this weather is so amazing we don't want to we don't want to go back to our accommodation until we've seen everything that we can see so yeah that was absolutely stunning uh, there's definitely some photos available if you want to check it out I've been sharing some photos on my at ethereal instagram and if you're already following me, Create and Thrive, just go for, have a look for some of my latest posts. I, I posted a link over there. If you're curious to see some of the places we've seen, all of the castles, I think I've lost track of how many castles. <laughs> the most amazing one was probably Dunrobin Castle, which is up north of Inverness. It looks like a fairy tale. And the gardens are beautiful. And we saw a falconry display. And then there've been some amazing ruined castles. And also I got a glimpse of my ancestral family castle. I have MacLeod blood in my, in me, which is the Isle of Skye is where the MacLeods are from. So uh, we had a peek at, at the castle that mine have been part of, I guess. I don't know if they were actually part of the <laughs> the fancy people, but the surname MacLeod was there. So there's that. And they emigrated from Skye in the mid 1800s to Australia. So yeah, so that's been fun. A little bit of history, been learning all about Scottish history and I could go on about it for hours, but I won't (laughs) unless you have questions and then I'll tell you more in the next episode. So uh, today's episode is one I'm really excited to share with you. Uh, This came about because I read a book a few months ago. It was Beth's book. So my guest today is Beth Kempton and she wrote a book called Freedom Seeker and I read it a few months back. I think it must have just been when it was released uh, because I was familiar with Beth from her other business called Do What You Love. And so I think I stumbled across her a few years ago. So I read the book and I really loved it. Uh, Those of you who know me know that freedom is kind of my number one motivator. It's my my why, my my core value in life. So to read a whole book about how to seek freedom and find it in your everyday life was really wonderful. And I think it will be a really excellent read for those of you who feel like you might be struggling to find freedom because Beth talks about ways to find freedom within the life you're already living rather than, you know, having to throw in the job or (laughs) leave your marriage or anything drastic like that. You know, it's, it's basically more about the way you view the world and how to find the freedom within your life. And, you know, it may end up being that you do decide to make big decisions. But the good thing about the book is that it helps you and it guides you and it gives you what are called freedom keys, different ways to, you know, tap into finding and feeling freedom in your life. So I once I finished the book, I was like, I have to get this woman on the show. (laughs) And I sent her an email and happily she was she was very enthusiastic about coming on the show and chatting with me. So we have a really long 
interesting chat. Beth has a really interesting backstory. She didn't get into kind of the creative scene until her, I, I think it's probably her 30s. She worked in many, a completely different field, which is nothing to do with art and, you know, handmade or anything like that. Uh, but all of those experiences kind of, you know, as they do, came together to inform where she is now in her life and what she's doing with her life now. So she tells you all about that, that journey in the podcast, as well as we dive into some of what the book is about and what Seeking Freedom is all about and how you can seek freedom in your own life and in your business as well, and how important it is to make sure that you're not building a business that you become a slave to but instead building a business that does allow you the freedom to live the life that you want to live. So let's dive into this interview with Beth Kempton. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, after reading your book a little while ago, and it was just, I think I was only in the first few chapters when I was like, I have to get in touch with this woman and have her on my podcast because this is so awesome. Um, it's just so resonant with me because freedom you know that the uh, the title of your book is freedom seeker and freedom is my number one kind of key in life the thing that that keeps me motivated and the thing that I always hold up as my why is to be free so yeah it really was a no-brainer to come have you on the show and talk about that very thing that's that's so fantastic I mean it's it's always amazing to hear from someone who's who's read the book you know when you've written it and put a lot into it but I think it's it's such an amazing demonstration as well of what living a creative life can do because, you know, there you are in Australia reading a book that I wrote here in England and I wrote it to write a book and yet here we are on a podcast and it's different medium and we get to, to you know, talk to and hopefully um, inspire your audience who are, you know, at home or in their studios making things and it's just such a amazing network of um, people doing and trying to do inspiring things that when you get you know when you really put yourself out there and do something creative there's this knock-on effect and it, that's a great reminder of that for me because I think something you know you write a book and you sit there on your own in a quiet place and, and do it and then you put it out in the world and it becomes this whole other thing so thank you for reading it yeah it's so true and it's it's kind of similar to me you know I've written my blog for years and do the podcast and the you get the emails from people who are like all over the world and talk about you know what you've put out there and and the impact it's had so that's a really wonderful thing uh, now and you, have to take, you have to take a moment sometimes and, and remember that don't you it's <laughs> you easy do. to just get caught in work without thinking about that <laughs> you do you do and it's it is it can be so easy to get caught in your work and speaking of work and experiences oh my goodness you have done so many things in your life uh just like <laughs> after reading the book I'm like she did this thing and then there's that thing and it's like oh my goodness and so tell us a little bit about kind of you know, that earlier period in your 20s where you were doing off in the world, doing all of these exciting things? So um, I think I feel like um, I had a big chapter of adventure in my life that lasted about 10 years. And then the last 10 years have, mu have been a much more uh, kind of creative chapter. Mm -hmm. And that now I'm really at the edge of trying to merge those two things because a lot, when I was writing um, Freedom Seeker and looking back, kind of digging deep into my memories and trying to find the connections between um, what's happened at different stages and why I felt certain ways at different points, 
Um, I really, the, the adventure stuff really felt like a long time ago. And that was, you know, that was quite a sad thing for me to realise. <laughs> and and it, they, we have all these pieces of ourselves that we, you know, some of them shine brightly at one point and then they get buried, whether by ourselves or by circumstances or by what other people tell us. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to kind of recapture those and bring them back into into our daily lives is a, is a really important thing. So uh, that in my 20s, um, I had... I, so I just graduated from university with a degree in Japanese, which in itself is completely bizarre because I'm not a linguist. <laughs> and um, as you know, having read the book, I basically um, had an aha moment at 17 um, on a boat mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean and realised I didn't want to follow the path that had basically been laid out for me to you know, go and do economics at university and become an accountant and have a, you know, a steady, safe job. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure why it took that to make me realise, because looking back, I know that that really wasn't um, the right path for me. But um, I, you know, I, I followed that and then I realised that's not for me and I didn't have another plan. Um, and so I tried to tune into my feelings and what I wanted to feel in my life. And I, mm. I wanted to feel like I felt on that boat, which was free and like life is an adventure and that there's a whole world out there and that I'm part of something bigger than myself. And at that point, when I was a student about to decide what to do at university, the only thing I could think of was to go and study a language because it would give me a year abroad. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite random. Um, but because I hadn't done any languages at A-level, you know, kind of high school um, mm-hmm. here in the UK, um, the universities wouldn't, they wouldn't let you apply um, mm-hmm. unless you did some really obscure language like Chinese, Russian, Arabic or Japanese, um, which, you know, I was like, oh, I'll just do one of them then and, and did um, <laughs> and, and landed on Japanese, which is one of the hardest languages in the world. Yeah. And went to university really with my eyes completely shut, got through my whole first year um, I have a really good memory, and so um, the way that they taught us was very much in um, kind of chunks of conversation. So I would memorise the conversation from the textbook, turn up to class, you know, repeat what was in the textbook, and then so the teachers thought I was getting on fine. I had no idea what I was saying. I couldn't, if you'd ask me to you know, say, how do you get to the bank instead of how do you get to the post office, I wouldn't know. Oh. And I, I literally got through my first year and um, nearly failed all my exams at the end and um they were like we don't really think we can send you to japan next year because you don't actually speak japanese and the people you're living with don't speak english and you might kind of flounder and i was like no no this is the whole plan like the whole point is to to japan you have to let me go and so they let me go and i just fell in love with it and it's so weird i actually think i was japanese in a former life because as soon as i was there it, i was just like a sponge yeah. And it came so naturally to me. And I think a big part of that was the kanji, the Japanese characters. They're so beautiful and mm. they're like pieces of art in themselves. And I really got into calligraphy, and um, which is which something I'd done actually when I was 10 and completely forgotten about it. Um, not obviously Japanese calligraphy, but in, you know, English um, language calligraphy. And um, so, so I found myself in, um, and I was 19 at the time, living in Kyoto, which is the ancient capital of Japan, mm. most incredibly beautiful um, city. And I was there for a year on my own, so no parents. Um, <laughs> only a couple of people from my university were in the same town as me because we were spread all over the country. Mm. My host family did not speak any English. Um, and I just... I just threw myself into life then, had an incredible adventure. And I came back, you know, there were still people a lot better than me, but I could Mm. totally function in Japanese. And I had the kind of motivation that I think a lot of people didn't have. They were just learning words and stuff. Mm. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to do more of this. And so I ended up, 
you know, went back, graduated, and I went straight back out to Japan um, to work. And really what happened, and, and happened for, you know, one job after another, was I kind of fell into these amazing opportunities, but I definitely had a role to play in that. So I was very open to anything, you know, I would talk to anyone. I was like, if someone said, we need a volunteer to run a cultural festival, I'll do that, you know, <laughs> just sounds interesting. And so the, the, I guess the first of my kind of bizarre jobs, I was, the job I had out of university was um, working for local government. There's a big government program in Japan that takes out Japanese speakers to work as interpreters and translators and kind of cultural relations people. Mm. Um, and I did that in a beautiful, snowy, remote town in the north of Japan. Um, and my supervisor just said to me one day, well, I remember we were coming back from meeting, sat in a taxi, and he's like, is there anything you'd really like to do while you're here? And I said, um, oh, I'd like to be on the radio. Um you know, I just thought that would be fun and really challenging because that's a really hard thing to do when it's in yeah. a foreign language. <laughs> and and then he was like, oh, I don't know anyone who's in, who's on the radio and felt really bad about it. And he's like, oh, but hang on, I've got an idea. And then it turns out that he knew the head of the local television station. And, and he was like, you need to meet me there. And I went and turned up at this meeting with the guy who owned the television station. And we just kind of ate needles together. And he goes, do you want a TV show? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, Japan feels like that kind of country to me. Like you can do anything if you're open and especially if you speak the language because you are absolutely in the minority mm. um, if you speak it well you know a lot of people speak a bit but if you if you generally can hold a really decent conversation then then there's a lot of opportunities and I think I was just blown away by all these opportunities that kept coming at me um, and then um, found my way in, in kind of similar through quite slightly random connections um, working at the FIFA World Cup, which is, you know, the world's um, soccer tournament mm. um, in Japan and Korea. And it was, again, it was so funny. Like, my bosses were Mexican, lived in England, didn't speak a word of Japanese, and I got in really, really early. There were only about four of us. I mean, it became an absolutely enormous team because we were responsible for all the ticketing and all the accommodation for the whole event. Mm. I was there very early, and um, I remember just my my boss just said one day, right, um, okay, we're in charge of all the hotels and we need to split them up. You know, somebody's in charge of the referees, somebody's in charge of the VIP, somebody's in charge of the teams. You know, who wants to do what? And I was like, I am looking after the teams. Because, you know, I'm 23. <laughs> very fit, very, you know, all these rich footballers coming from all over the world, famous people, David Beckham, all like that. And I said, like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> and so I just put my hand up and they just let us get on with it. So at 23, I was negotiating. I couldn't even read the contract when I got that job. And we were negotiating you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of hotel rooms and it just left to our almost to our own devices because there was so much to do and because we had that element of um there's almost kind of a power in the knowledge of the language which our bosses mm. didn't have so they just get on with it and I think I've been really lucky to have been given kind of big chunks of responsibility early on and just gone you know what I'll do and I think there's something in that you know the youth and the being just bolder than I should be and going it's fine I'll give it a go and see what happens and somewhere along the way I think we lose that yeah. um as you know responsibilities and things like that and like if if I turned up there now and somebody you know said you can't read this contract but how how about it um <laughs> I think I'd be like oh I need to do some research and I need to look into that Back in three years, it's like, well, the tournament will be over in three years. There was just something about this kind of enthusiasm and who cares if I mess up? They won't even understand. (laughs) Just a real real bravery. And that led me to to many um, awesome jobs, kind of one after the other. And I ended up working within the UN system for UNICEF um, and kind of became this expert in sport, having worked at all these major events. And, you know, I'm looking, sitting here, writing my book, looking back, going, well, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But it was... You did so much. When I'm reading the book, all these different things are popping up. And 
but and it, it's it definitely sounds like when you talk about it like you I can hear how excited you are about like all these experiences and how wonderful it was and this sort of like you said this kind of boldness and rashness that can come along with youth but also I think with a certain personality of just like the sort of person who'll just put themselves out there and, and see what happens but of course yeah. to, you know you you went through all of these things time time went on and then many many years later we come to a point in the book where things are very different and you have what you call your bedroom floor moment. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about? Yeah. Um, I mean, there is, I guess there's one moment before that that I should talk about, which Mm. is how I I, I shifted from that, the sports industry to the creative world, Mm. which are very, very different things. Um, And there was a kind of, um, there've been a few moments, but that was a really big moment for me because I went on an art retreat in California. Um, basically I read a woman, I read a, a book by um, an artist called Kelly Ray Roberts and I was like, I want to meet this woman. Um, and so I got on a plane to California and went and took a workshop with her. But that was a really strange thing to do at the time because I was, you know, working in the sports industry surrounded by guys and really busy and lots to do. And it was cost me, you know, a few thousand dollars to go. Um, <laughs> and I got there and I was like, what on earth have I done? Why am I here? Everybody's an artist. I have no right to be here. I don't have the right kit. I don't know anybody. I just want to go. I'm too busy. I want to go home. And I, but I didn't. And I stayed. And it was amazing. And um, I just that moment really woke me up to the power of communities of women, creative women, doing what they love, supporting each other. And it was just this amazing feeling. And I was like, that's how I want to feel in my work. Like my work is cool. But I don't have that feeling mm. of connection and supporting women. And I think because I'd been out in the world, you know, working with these big brands and businesses and stuff, I felt like there was something that I had from that world of business outside that I could bring to these women who I could see were incredibly talented, uh, but had no idea how to monetize what they were doing. And I don't like the word monetize, but the truth is, if you can monetize, you know, you'll, <laughs> you, you'll know this. Mm as well as anyone if you can monetize what it is that you love in a way that doesn't you know drive you crazy and take over your life um then that's the best way of doing what you love every day because if you can you know bring in your income and look after your family through making pots or jewelry or whatever it is that you do then that's what you get to do all day um, and i realized that, that that certainly the women on that retreat had no access to that kind of information you know it's, it's a good eight years or so now there's a lot out there on the, on the internet now but there wasn't at the time um and i felt like oh my goodness my soul is being called to go and do this thing (laughs) over here and that's how do what you love came about which I believe is how I found you originally a couple of years ago Ah, okay yeah so that's how that came about so so then I was doing that and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit but um essentially we've been um producing and delivering online courses for um seven or eight years and um really supporting creative women mostly Mm -hmm. um to kind of alter their life path to be able to do what they love um and what happened with the bedroom, bedroom floor moment was I had one, um, I had one daughter, uh, a toddler, my, my first child who was about um, one and a bit at the time. And I was very pregnant with my second. And I was supposed to be going to talk on a debate in London um, on the topic of doing what you love, actually, <laughs> at the Royal Institute. And um, I, I felt fat and ugly and exhausted. And um, I, I think that the... the mouse that sunk the boat moment was when I tried to put my jeans on and they wouldn't do up and I was like what is going on in my life like I'd made so many choices to get to where I was it wasn't like I was in a job I hated it wasn't like um I just let other people determine what I was doing I mean I've been really really 
deliberate about my choices and you know I had this beautiful family and we lived by the sea and the business was thriving and it was really confusing because on the outside everything looked like it was was going fine but that moment when I collapsed on my bedroom floor just exhausted and shattered and in just tears and confusion I realized that I felt completely suffocated by this life that I built mm. and I didn't want to feel that way anymore and I looked up and I think I basically saw the cage that I'd built for mm. myself um, and and what had happened was I had been as so many of us do giving and giving and giving to other people so obviously um, my family and um, with my business I have several business partners and there's a tendency I think when you have a business and it's going well to put your energy into what's most lucrative it's yeah. working so let's keep feeding it without stepping back and going is that what I really love to do is that really my work and it can be mm. but it doesn't have to be the whole thing you know there's absolutely fine if you've got a lucrative income stream that supports the rest of your business then you know there's no need to kill it but if you allow that to take over and you don't do the stuff that really lights you up then it you just kind of wonder what you you know what am I doing what, why how <laughs> you know and I got to that moment and I realized I was I was just every moment of my day was allocated to somebody else um and something else and it was only work or family I didn't see my friends I had no time for myself I had absolutely no creative projects of my own and I think I was just wrung out um and I was like enough was enough I'm not having bringing a second baby into the world mm. and said I didn't know how much of a workload it would be but essentially doubling my responsibility yeah. <laughs> and this, allowing this to get any worse and um and so I, I kind of drew, drew a line in the sand and and at the same time I was having that moment I, I literally was having these flashbacks to these adventures that we've been talking about not just the work-related ones but I've done a lot of traveling and you know I was seeing myself on the Trans-Siberian Railway and in Antarctica and I was literally having these flashbacks of this girl who was so kind of full of wonder and adventure and life and so happy and thinking hang on a minute that was me and and how did I what's the difference between what's going on with her and what's going on with me right now and I realized that the difference was space so she had all this physical space in these big landscapes on her adventures but she also had a lot of mental space and a lot of quiet and she was doing whatever she felt like doing um you know so space in terms of time and I didn't have any of those things. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I wanted to reclaim. And, and so I started doing that in a very small way, um, literally half an hour here, an hour there, half, you know, half a day walking on the beach, mm. reading Flow magazine, those really, really simple things. And what was amazing was firstly, I started to feel better. And secondly, um, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, how can I do this in my business as well? You know, make some more space. And I said to one of my business partners, I'm only going to email you on Tuesdays. And this is an emergency. You know, if it's an emergency, I'm here, but otherwise Tuesdays. And then to the other one, I'm going to email you on Fridays. And it worked for them as well. It was crazy. I was like, oh, other people like space as well. And it was, everything just started to feel better. Um, and then I went on maternity leave. Took five months rather than four days the first time around, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend. Um, and, it, yeah, and actually what happened was in, in that space of maternity leave, um, the whole book concepts came to fruition, which I would never, I certainly didn't go into maternity leave thinking I'm going to come out of it with, 
a big deal, but that's what happened. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I just, I've got a quote from the book here that I want to speak because I think it's really relevant to what you were just saying about the fact that you had a, already had a business and a life that you thought you'd consciously created for yourself that was going well. Um, and the quote is this, and it is, business can be a gateway to freedom, but only if you set it up in a way that allows you to feel delight in the everyday. If your daily reality and routine makes you feel trapped, it makes no difference whether the big picture promises freedom because you won't feel it. Yeah. And I love that because, yeah, I think a lot of people have this expectation that, oh, I'm going to start this business. It's going to be fabulous. I'm going to spend all day doing what I love. (laughs) I'm going to be free. And it's, you know, unless you really think about what you want your life to look like in each moment of every day and make space for the things that keep you energized, then business can be a cage just like a job can be. Absolutely. And I think we, I think a lot of people don't talk about that when people are being encouraged to consider starting their own business. You know, there's a lot of excitement around it, you know, the whole startup world and um, it's, you know, start a business in with $500 and in three days and all these things and without really thinking through the reality of the impact on your daily life. So, you know, to be really clear in the very beginning, there's a lot of hustling. You have to make sacrifices. There are times that you won't be seeing your friends and, you know, you're really trying to get lots of things off the ground at once. And and I think that's completely understandable. And at the, in the very beginning, you always have a ton of energy because you're so excited about this thing. But I'm, I'm really talking about the, the long term, you know. Yeah. I, you know, at that point, I've been in my business for five, six years and I, I want to stay in my business for a very long time. And you, you cannot be hustling all the time you cannot be um just putting stuff out there all the time and you need to consider um all those the other parts of life otherwise that's exactly what it is you know it's funny because um you escape i think what if you a lot of people leave a job because they don't like their boss they don't like the hour they don't like the commute they don't like the amount of stuff they have to do and the deadlines and all these things and then they shift to what they you know to going into their own business and often they're just at home doing a lot of the same stuff with you know suppliers they don't like or um deadlines from other people and all these things and it you really have to ask that question about what are the things that you want to leave behind and the reasons that you want to do the business that's not just about i want to make pots all day you know there's a lot of other things to do with it and make sure you're making the choice that's going to allow you to do that you know even simple questions like who who what, what kind of people are my people? So not just who do I want to serve with my business, but who do I want to work with? Who do I want to give my business to as my suppliers? Because they are your day-to-day contacts. Mm. They are the people whose nasty emails are going to ruin your day. And there's <laughs> tiny, tiny decisions like that that have, over time, have a really, really big impact. And I think also coming back to it, saying what's in it for me sounds really strange, but if you grow a team and you have people needing you, um, you know, in, in all sorts of, um, ways you have to take a moment to go is the job I've ended up doing what I want to do because it is you know if you're running a company you're essentially doing a job still you know you're not <laughs> it's just not working for somebody else and that it it really can be a gateway to freedom but those how you set it up I mean I'm interested to hear what what you've learned about how you set up your life so that you're really enjoying it and not just getting sucked into the grind um, and just and, and getting obsessed with money, I think that's the problem. When, it, when especially if, if money isn't regular, like a salary, it yeah. becomes a 
point of fear and when you can't predict what's coming um, and it, you just become obsessed with it. And if you know you have a day that no money comes in, it's like, oh, everything's going to go to crap. And then, you know, every day it's like, awesome, let's all go out for dinner. And you just really not a um, – just having that consistent thing and, and knowing ha- – having things that remind you on the difficult days that there are good days and there also will be good days again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that comes with experience uh, and time. And I'm always big and on the whole long game idea with business, you know, your first month, year, two years, doesn't even really give you a really clear idea about what it's going to be like in the long term. You know, it's, it's going to change. It's going to be different every single day, but when you've been doing it for long enough, when you've been doing it for a while and you've been growing things and your business starts getting some sort of traction, you can relax a bit more because you see the ebbs and flows and you realize that they're, you know, they come and go. It's You don't end up in one or the other for a long period of time. Mm. And so I, don't, I think you relax a little bit about the hustle. You relax a little bit about oh my gosh, I haven't sold anything today. Everything's terrible. My business is a failure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those sort of, those sort of thoughts and feelings aren't quite as um, prevalent or as loud as they were perhaps in the beginning. So I think it's important for people to know that that does change uh, over time, mm. especially once you have regular sales coming in and you've, maybe you've got uh, multiple streams of income coming in so that, you know, that everything sort of overlaps a little bit and you are earning enough money so that you can relax about that. But it, it can be really scary. And, you know, another thing that I think a lot of people find really scary about starting and running a business and leaving perhaps a job is there's still this sort of prevalent idea that a job is safe and running a business is risky and also that uh, something I think some people are almost frightened of the freedom that comes along with Mm -hmm. running a business because it's all down to you like you're not just turning up and having someone else tell you what to do and going home with a paycheck whether you or not you make money whether or not you make a living whether or not you actually design a life that works for you it's all down to you Oh my goodness, you've totally hit the nail on the head. And I think there's two there's two different things there. So the first one, um, I completely disagree with the, uh, not with you, but with the, the kind of standard view of a job being safe and a business being mm-hmm. um, unsafe. I think in the current environment, I could not feel more um, secure in the fact that if I want to generate some money, all I need to do is create something and put it out in the world to the platform that I have spent a lot of time building and I know I can bring in some income I don't know how much it's going to be it depends on what I put out there and how I put (laughs) it out there but I know at the touch of a button I can make some money if I need to now that's not how I run my business but that gives me an incredible amount of security Mm. um to to know that I can do that when I want to I can't but if I have a salary and my um first of all I can't generate a chunk of extra money if I want to in my job that's not the agreement um and I can get fired or made redundant at any point and uh, it's it's crazy that we that we think that just because the company is bigger than the one that we own, everything is safer, or because somebody else makes the decisions, it makes mm-hmm. it safer. Putting that power in your own hands is is so, so as long as long as um, running a business is for you and it's not for everybody. So like coming to your second point, it is down to you, and you. It, I do get frustrated when um, I hear people kind of complaining that their business isn't going anywhere. 
and then looking at what they're doing and going, yeah, but you're not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I, there, there is a big chunk of responsibility on you. And I do think sometimes that an element of that is in personality. Are you, are you committed? Are you determined? Are you conscientious? Are you willing to um, not necessarily put the hours in, but put the thinking in there to think mm, things through yeah. and work, you know, work things out. Um, and, and then also do, do the difficult thing sometimes, you know, putting yourself, this is a big thing that I've, I've learned in the last couple of years with um, the shift to having my own book out in the world. A lot of what I've done in the past has been supporting other people. And it's a whole lot easier to promote somebody else than it is to promote yourself. And I think if you're a maker and your face is part of your brand, that's something you have to just get over Mm. and put it out in the world. And if you're not prepared to do that, then you need to find a different way to sell what you're doing because it's if you're making handmade products and, and your story is part of that experience people need to know your story and that's a really difficult thing for some people but those kinds of things you do need to be prepared to do don't you yeah absolutely you really really do you have to and and that's a huge stumbling block for a lot of a lot of makers is this idea that they have to put themselves out there in some way because they're not they're not comfortable with that and you know i'm an introvert and i understand the need for alone time and the need for privacy and the need for also i think you know you need a, a certain amount of serenity and privacy to be creative because mm-hmm. you need that quiet time in that space but at the same time you just i think especially in this the modern world as it is the internet everything else you need to be willing to put yourself out there because it's the only way you're ever going to get anywhere. It's the only way you're going to make progress and it's the only way that people are going to find you and hopefully fall in love with what you do enough to give you money for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's kind of non-negotiable really, um, especially in the handmade world where a big part of the – a big selling point is the fact that you're buying from a, a real person and people do yeah. want that connection with a real person. Yeah, and I think um, if if anyone's struggling with that, the the thing that I always do is look to the people that I admire, the people whose inspiration and work directly or indirectly has helped me get to where I am, and think, what if they'd had that thought? So, like one of my friends, Carrie Chapin, who's you know written The Handmade Marketplace and mm-hmm. um, some other amazing books. She just imagine if she'd sat there in her house and gone, I don't want to put my face out in the world. I don't want anyone. <laughs> no, I'm, I that you know I know that she she doesn't always want to shout about herself, but. Um, if she hadn't done that, there would be literally tens of thousands of people whose beautiful handmade products are not out in the world. And I think we have to remember that in doing what we do, apart from getting our creative things in the world, which is really important, we also inspire other people to live creative lives. And by being shy, we're not serving anybody, not ourselves and not anybody else. And I don't mean being shy and being a bad thing, like you know, being um, elements of being introverted. I mean just by not allowing ourselves to be seen. That's It's not serving anybody. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, it's really important to, to just be, you know, bring that confidence in yourself and in your work and put it out there. And I think another reason why artists and creatives and makers – of all types, again, find it a bit stressful is because you are putting a little piece of your yourself into the world oh, yeah. to be judged, <laughs> to be judged by other people. Mm. And even if you're not consciously thinking about that, I think it can act as a big stumbling block um, for people. Now, something else I want to talk about is this idea of finding freedom. But the the problem, of course, that a lot of people have and is that 
they they can see a way out of it perhaps you know if they 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 wake up and realize they don't feel free they feel trapped they feel like they're stuck in their cage mm-hmm. and they can perhaps some of them can perhaps see a way out but some of them can't and you bring up this idea of the context versus the cage can we can you yeah. kind of talk a little bit about what that is and how changing your perception can help you find freedom even when you can't change your situation yeah, so I think what I realised um, on that bedroom floor moment was that I was I was trapped in this cage, and my cage bars were things like um, guilt about motherhood, like seeing my my mother take my daughter to nursery instead, or to you know to not to nursery, but to you know playgroup, whatever. When that's kind of my job, um, but because I've got work to do, she's doing it, or because I um down the supermarket buying pureed food instead of doing everything myself <laughs> and um, my guilt about my marriage where my husband only ever sees me and I'm massively grumpy and you know <laughs> fat and not very like I'm feeling like I'm not the person that he married of course I am but you know in that moment I didn't feel like I was um and th- lots of guilt and obligation and thinking how can I um think all these selfish thoughts when I'm obliged to my business partners um but also I'm doing a really rubbish job in my business for my business partners because I basically can't even think of the end of my sentence with my baby brain and you know just feeling really bad about everything and it's those those ideas of um guilt and fear and um obligation and all the kind of negative things that we have that that become our cage they're the things that are stopping us moving forward into the world in a big way um and every single one of those things is created in my mind um it doesn't mean that there's no justification for them it doesn't mean that there's no um that it's that i'm the only person that thinks those things but the reality is that was all created in my mind and it's all in response to my context which is so essentially if you're trapped in a cage your cage isn't hovering in a vacuum it exists in what I call a context which is the situation of your life right now in any given moment so in that particular moment the the facts about my life were I was a mother of one child I had another child on the way I was married I lived in a lovely house and I had a business all of those things are just plain facts um and Everything that was happening in terms of my cage was my response to that situation. I could choose in any moment to respond to my situation in a completely different way. I could be grateful for my business, for the fact that my business partners haven't run a mile, even though I'm not you know, <laughs> working at 100% of my um, uh, my ability. I could be grateful that my husband hasn't divorced me and that he's being very friendly and helpful. And that actually, all of these things I'm thinking, nobody else is thinking. It's just all in my head. And so by getting really clear on, um, I, so I was getting really frustrated with motherhood and my business and all these things, but they're just facts. They're just my situation. Mm. And the the real pain is coming from the way I was dealing with that situation. So um, what what I realized was um, the concept that we introduced in the, in the book of the freedom keys, so these eight different um, keys, such as boldness and bravery or headspace and heart space, which mm. was certainly what I used to kind of get out of that cage at that moment. There are certain things that can help you either see your context in a different way or take your mind to a place where your cage bars don't get any attention. And that sounds like a bit of a cop out, like you're not dealing with the situation, but sometimes yeah. you don't need to deal with it. Like I don't need to deal with the fact that I wish I was going to play group when, you know, in, instead of my mother if I take my mind to somewhere else where I'm appreciating my life, that, that it stops mattering, that guilty thought I had. And it's once you start 
well, you start trying out these freedom cues. So you don't need to know um, your essentially your flight path afterwards. Of course you don't know it. You're stuck in a dark cage with a massive door and all you can see is this tiny bit of space around you. How on earth are you going to know how to fly across this vast open sky. The only thing you need to do is get out of that cage. And that's why these eight freedom keys are prompts to get you to move from that point to the place where you're kind of on the edge of your cage with the door open, ready to step into the world. And what you do after that is a whole different thing. And it's a different part of the book. As you'll know, it's like the whole second half of the book. Um, But getting to the point where... You, you are not completely obsessed and trapped by um, all these thoughts that are going in your head um, it is massive. And it really comes down to how you think about the situation. So taking the time to think, what are the facts about what's going in my life, going on in my life? And what are my thoughts about that, that, those facts and distinguishing the two? Because sometimes we can't control the situation often we can't control the situation sometimes we can't change it sometimes we don't want to change it I don't want to change the fact that I'm a mother I love it it's amazing but I do want to change how I get stressed about it or frustrated about it you know? and that's really what the context in the cage is all about yeah I really love that idea and as as someone who um you know has spent many years kind of uh, experimenting with mindfulness meditation and just being aware of you know the fact that we we do think thoughts and that those thoughts are often habitual or they're often things that we're we've absorbed like a sponge from the people around us and the way they look at the world but we yep. actually have the choice as an adult to examine our thoughts and go hang on a second is this really the way I need or want to be thinking about this thing and is it you know is it making me happy to to think this way about my situation or is there a different way I can think about it and that's why I think um you know uh, looking at things from a frame of gratitude can be really helpful you know focusing on the things that are positive that we are grateful for in the situation uh, can help shift our mind state and our emotional state to make our lives happier and feel more free in that situation, even though we haven't changed the situation. Absolutely. And of course, sometimes you can change the situation. Mm. You know, you can quit that job if you really hate it. <laughs> but the, I think the thing is that the, the changing the situation is a much bigger leap of faith than changing how you think about your current situation. And sometimes it's almost like you need to get yourself to a place where you're thinking differently about your current situation in order to make rational and well-informed decisions about how to change the situation itself. Um, And so that's a really, that that idea of becoming aware of your thoughts is a really useful first step. um, So you're not making really big rash decisions from this kind of dark place where you can't see what, what is out there. Yeah, and being trapped as well, just within your mental perception of what's possible rather than what's actually possible, which might be much more than you'd ever conceived previously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Another thing I wanted to – that kind of – um, I noticed when I was reading through the book. Now, uh, before we go on, I just want to say, if you're curious about the, what these freedom keys are, do go read the book. There's too many of them for us to talk. It'd take us hours <laughs> to talk <laughs> through all of them because um, they're brilliant. But they're, they're different ways you can unlock your freedom, basically. Um, but another thing related to business and work uh, that you talk about is this idea of a project cycle yeah. uh, that uh, – 
and I think this is important for people who are perhaps further along in the, the journey, who have been running a business for a long time or have been working in a particular job or particular field and are feeling like making a transition. But there's this idea that projects have uh, or uh, businesses perhaps see them as a project that have a natural life cycle that yeah. just because something was brilliant for you a couple of years ago doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever and it, sometimes it's time to let go of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, especially if you work in the kind of digital space, so I know everyone's makers, but also, you know, you might teach online how mm. to um, make a particular type of clothing or whatever it is that you that you do. You're you will probably be very, very enthusiastic about a particular online workshop that you run several times that you run it. And if you don't switch it up, um, you know, find a way to keep yourself interested, you are not going to be the same teacher that you were when you started out. You'll be more experienced, but you won't be anywhere near as engaged and motivated. And I think it's absolutely true. And I actually organised my entire life um, in based around projects. Um, and it makes such a difference because you can have... Um, so a project, obviously, a life cycle, obviously... Um, has this um, early kind of research and building stage and it comes to a point where if it's all going well you know there's like a, a peak of incredible creative energy and everything um, going brilliantly and then it you know it kind of peters out just how um, if you if like a, a human life cycle in terms of what we know and how I guess how productive we are in the world from when we're tiny to when we're working age and then down um, to retirement that kind of thing and if you can organize your business into projects that don't all start at the same time then you're always going to have something which is you know flying and bringing in money and making you enthusiastic and really um, doing great things in your business and if that's going on at the same time as another one has really kind of you know it's lived its life it's it's come to the end of its relevance and your interest in it it's a lot easier to let that go if you've got something great going on mm-hmm. um but if you kind of launch everything at once and then everything's overwhelming and you decide you, <laughs> you're not interested in any of it and you ditch everything then you're you know you're in a much more difficult place so i think there's a real practical reason that, that it's worth it and it also really helps you decide where to put your attention based on um, where it is in the life cycle of that project and it doesn't mean that you have to um, ditch something because it's come to the end of its life cycle it might just mean that you need to freshen it up and it almost becomes another project um, but just being really aware of the the fact that something that you create and put out in the world doesn't it's not the same at every stage of its life um, is is really important for for you and also for the thing that you're creating I think yeah, and being aware that things evolve and grow and sometimes die, and that's okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. They don't have to live forever. And, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're an artist or a maker, you know, that it might not be, you know, it might be a lifetime's work, this, this creativity that you have but and this business that you have, but it might change. You know, this at this point you might be making one particular type of of art or using one particular type of material or making one particular type of thing but in five years time it might be completely different so you know one tiny thing that I always tell my my community is whenever you're naming a business don't limit it like everyone's like oh I want to call it so-and-so's jewelry or so-and-so's bags whatever I'm like no (laughs) give it a name that you can evolve with that you, yeah. that in 10 years time if you're making something completely different you can use the same business name because you haven't you haven't caged yourself in to this yeah. particular niche of thing 
so so important yeah. and also i think especially with um creative people people's styles change over time like mm. we obviously it's really important to find your signature style but if you actually look at people who have had a very long very successful creative career whether they're is there you know whether they're a writer or an artist or a designer or a photographer whatever it is because humans naturally become we're curious creatures and we become interested in different things and as we age and we have more experience and our you know talent develops we become better at different things and you can it's really interesting to do to look at like a retrospective of a fashion designer for example mm. and you can see that they have evolved and the stuff that they did at the beginning of their career I'm sure they're still proud of but there's no way they would produce that now and I think it's really important to to be constantly evolving your work as well and realizing that again it's okay to let that old style go but it's very very um it's a terrifying thing to do if you have built a reputation um for a certain kind of style and i know somebody very close to me who's going through this right now who has a very very successful business with a very particular style um but she's kind of bored of it yeah. <laughs> because she's just been doing it all the time. And she needs to find a way to channel her talent in something that is recognizable but distinct from what she's been doing. And the other brilliant thing for that is that, you you know, people get copied all the time, but you're ahead of the game. Mm. Because if you're always churning out the same stuff, people it's really easy for people to copy you. Um, but if you're unpredictable, you're moving, you're evolving, then... It, you know, that's kind of the old story and you're creating the new story. I love that. That's great and so true. Um, I just wanted to read one more quote from the book because I think it's a, a relevant um, thing for what we were just talking about and it's kind of an overarching moment of, of, of what you're talking about in the book and it is this, remember the good and the bad all passes. So experience all that is happening in the knowledge that it won't last forever. Be grateful for the beauty and breathe through the pain. Keep on going, keep on flying, for that's where freedom lies. And I love that idea. And, and this, I don't think we've talked about this, but you, throughout the book, you use this, um, use a bird as your mm. kind of watchword, your metaphor for the, the, the path of freedom and finding freedom. And did yeah. that kind of just appear in your mind or was it something that sort of evolved out of writing the book? it it's been the most bizarre experience you can imagine since I started this idea you know when I was back in maternity having the starting asking these questions about freedom I started getting bird signs left right and center like you would not believe you know the guy serving my coffee I'm asking a question about in my head about something guy serving my coffee has got like a massive eagle tattoo and then there's like a woman in front of me with this feathered headdress and she turns around and says something to me and I'm like oh my god yes and it just and you know and I'm kind of having a real moment and I, I can't possibly um you know what am I thinking about trying to put a book proposal together and I open my front door and there's like 60 white bird feathers I'm kidding you not it's like it has been sent to me before I, and then I'm like duh <laughs> you know freedom birds obviously and then these then these whole things just started like, so, so there's one one section there's two sections in the book which I think are really really important that it's a bird metaphor and one is about the mechanics of bird flight and how they work and how there's an incredible parallel between um the like the force dynamics of how a, a bird flies and how we move through life and mm -hmm. um, that just came to me like a download and I was like oh my god it makes so much sense and then the second one was how 
birds navigate through uh, like around the world and mm. this it was really interesting and I, this it came to me again I remember I was walking my baby and I pushed her and I, it just hit me like a lightning bolt and um I actually spoke to a professor from the University of Oxford about this who's a researcher into um birds in um how they how they experience turbulence which is you know later on in the book and I asked him I said look I've just had this idea that humans navigate the world in a very similar way to birds do so so birds navigate with um the like ma- um, landmarks so um with man-made landmarks like tall buildings mm. and with natural landmarks like you know rivers and things and but they can only use that particular mode of navigation if they've flown that path before so if they don't know there's a building there they can't use it so 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 for me i was like that's our you know that's our knowledge and experience yeah that's we only know that because we've lived this bit of life before you know <laughs> so that's the first one okay so how else do they do it oh okay they use the sun and the stars that this um information and guidance from outside of themselves okay that means we can you know ask other people go on training courses <laughs> read books. there's information out there we can ask people that we admire for advice and, and guidance and things so there's the information and guidance that we so our knowledge experience and then our information and guidance and then the third thing that birds use and scientists are not 100 percent sure about how this works but they they believe they have this um thing inside them called magnetoreception um which is how they interact with the um electromagnetic fields um around the earth and essentially that's an inner compass it's a sixth sense mm. it's our intuition obviously and i said it to this guy he's been studying birds his entire life and this, this esteemed professor he's like oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so so yes the, the universe sent me the bird metaphor and it really really helped me understand how we navigate life and it, and i think the brilliant thing is that birds are everywhere mm. and they obviously there's these ancient ways of um understanding what particular bird signs mean if those two magpies flew off to the east and you know it's not about that for me it's about what are you thinking the moment a bird turns up or a feather or a, you know whatever and um just having that as a reminder to yourself that you know, this is an important thought or you're really worried about something and then you get, a, you, it's how do you feel when you see that sign? Like, is it ominous or is it um, supportive? And it's, it's just been an incredible thing for me. Um, so yeah, I love it. And it, it's funny because somebody, one of the first people who turned up um, at my first book signing said, oh, um, my name's Paloma, which in Spanish means dove. And you have a dove on the front, uh, the front of the <laughs> it's, it's It's so interesting. So um, I also encourage anyone who reads the book to keep an eye open for birds. I don't know if you have, but they're very, very powerful, magical creatures. Yeah, I love birds. I, I live in I live in the country and, you know, in from my bedroom window every morning, we watch all the birds flying around outside in the trees and having their, their merry little lives. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lovely thing to see them being free and flying. Uh, so before we finish up uh, this wonderful interview, do you have any last uh, piece or pieces of advice for our freedom seekers out there, uh, especially, you know, our people looking to – maybe change the direction of their lives or start this business or grow this business or gain that confidence in what they really want out of life? I think, I think freedom is the Holy grail. I really do. And so understanding what that means to you in your life can really, really help you make good decisions. Um, 
So that's that's a really important question to, to kind of ask. And then in terms of your actual business, when you're growing your business, um, we touched on it earlier, but I think don't just feed what's lucrative, feed what lights you up, because how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Um, and it's the tiny decisions that send you off on a completely different trajectory. You know, a tiny decision now means a massively different path later on. Um, and so if you're making those tiny decisions in the direction of things that do make you happy, you're going to end up with a happier trajectory um, in the end. And then a third thing is really get organized because, <laughs> uh, you know, time is precious. And if uh, I, there's, I, I work with an awful lot of creative people and I often hear I'm creative. So there's no space for organization. I'm like, you're creative. So you need to be organized yeah. because you, you can waste <laughs> so much time, you know, just searching for that pencil or whatever, when you could be creating beautiful things to put out in the world. Um, and so don't, I would say, don't um, put on yourself the burden of not being allowed to be organized because actually it's a secret weapon of a freedom seeker. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I actually like this. I love this idea. And it's one that I try to talk about is there's actually a freedom in cons- in um, putting constraints on things as well. Like, uh, and being organized is almost a way of like creative people might think feel like it's constraining to like have a place for everything <laughs> rather than just throwing things down where they lie or whatever. But yeah. there's a freedom in that, you know, because you're like, I know where that pen is. <laughs> I know where that yeah. tool is. I don't have to spend yeah, so five hours finding it. <laughs> exactly. So what you're doing is you're kind of constraining the edges so yeah. that when you get to two o'clock in the afternoon and you've got three hours ahead of you to get painting, you're free for three hours to paint. Exactly. You know? And that, that, it makes a really big difference. So although it's a very, a very practical and maybe not the most inspiring piece of advice, it's possibly the most important because it, if you can create that time and space and take away the mental stress mm. that comes with being disorganized um, and also, you know, get on top of the organization of your money, really, really important early on in your business, then you just save yourself so much um, pain and anguish and actually get to spend your days doing the things that you really love. And that's what freedom is. Fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Beth, for coming on the show. I That was fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, where can people find you and find the book? Um, so the book is called Freedom Seeker. It's published by Hay House. You can find it anywhere. Um, Amazon, of course. Um, but also we love independent bookshops. So please go and ask your bookshop if they've got it. <laughs> um, and you can find me online at bethkempton.com do what you love for life.com. I'm also co-founder of, of two websites, which might be really helpful um, for your lovely creative audience, which are makeartthatsells.com and makeitindesign.com. I know that's a lot of information, but um, particularly on Make It in Design, there's a free design magazine, which is really awesome. Um, it's had a like, over 2 million views um, and it's absolutely packed with information about growing your creative business. And that magazine is called Moyo, M-O-Y-O. If you Google it, you'll find it. Um, and on social media, take come and find me on Instagram at Beth Kempton. I would love to connect with you there. Fantastic. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes, of course, so everybody listening can go check them out. Thank you again, Beth. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating this podcast. People need to, to hear this and know that you, you can make it living a creative life and, and the world needs your work. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks again to Beth so much for coming on the show. I loved chatting with her. And I'm actually hoping to catch up with her while I'm over here in the UK, which would be brilliant. 
So thank you for listening. I hope you found that episode enjoyable and encouraging and useful. And do go check out her book, Freedom Seeker. I highly recommend you have a read of that. I really enjoyed it and I think you will too. I'd also love it if you could subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever you use to listen to it, and leave me a rating and a review, which would be absolutely wonderful. I love reading them and it really helps other people get a feel for what you get out of the podcast, why you enjoy it. I do have a lot of wonderful people who email me and leave me messages, but a public review really makes a huge difference. So if you've got a minute or two, I'd absolutely love it if you could take the time to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It would be, I would be very, very thankful. (laughs) And I'm thankful to you for listening, as always, to another episode of this podcast. I'll be back again next week with another episode for you to listen to. I'm Jess Van Den and goodbye for now.